0: Welcome to Less Than or Equal, the podcast about pursuing equality and geekdom. I'm your host, Aline Sims, and I'm joined today
1: by Virginia Roberts. Virginia, welcome. Thanks. Hi, Aline. How are you? I'm pretty good. I'm uh, excited that my meeting this morning got canceled, so we have that much more time to podcast.
0: Nice. So, Virginia, who are you?
1: I am the hartographer. That's my main business. I'm an online dating coach, um, and that's something I've had as a business for many, many years, but I also have a history like uh, of working in games I um have a linguistics degree. And I was never much of a gamer until I started dating a guy who was then a level designer and is now a lead game designer. And so he kind of got me out also now my husband. (laughs) So he got me excited about gaming. And I started applying my linguistic skills to linguistic and localization QA in a couple different game companies and other tech companies for a while there. So that's kind of what got me into those fields. And um, I was also doing the whole online dating help thing on the side then too.
0: So I actually met my husband online. Nice. Um, so I'm like, oh, that's, that's sweet.
1: Yeah. Um, what site did you guys meet on?
0: Okay. Cupid.
1: Nice. Okay. We met, Grant and I met on Craigslist, which like, don't do that anymore. It's not <laughs> the robust uh, marketplace that it once was, but back in the day, it had a similar vibe to like the early days of okay. Cupid where it was like sort of an indie secret that maybe required a lot of work, but was like, had, you know, good potential payoff. So
0: <laughs> yeah, this was in, I think 2007. So it's, it's been a while. Yeah. So you actually contacted me about coming on the show. Do you want to talk a little bit about um, about how you, why you decided to do that?
1: Absolutely. Um, I, I, I am friends and former coworkers with uh, Anna McGill, one of your previous guests. And then I'm also kind of internet pals with Brianna Wu. And I was before she kind of um, blossomed into the feminist advocate that she is. I think that was always a big, important part of her identity, but she wasn't doing as much work in that space when we first met via app.net. Um, she was mostly focused on running her game studio and de- developing Revolution 60. And now she's out there marching, you know, in the battlefield for women everywhere. And I'm so excited and proud of her. And, you know, hearing them discuss misogyny and sexism and frustration um, on your show led me to want to speak because I think that... In some ways, because I'm not involved in the game industry as heavily or as recently as as them, I, I almost feel like I have more permission and distance to speak candidly about some really messed up stuff that has happened in my, you know, brief career there. It's a it's an industry that I could totally see going back to eventually, even though that's not where I'm working right now. And that's something I'm conflicted about. And I feel like it's worth having the opportunity to to share some of those unpleasant stories, because I think they need to be heard in order to help, you know, do my part in this, like, anti misogyny in gaming and against women all the time, you know, March. Yeah. So that's why I'm here.
0: Well, and, you know, so we talked a little bit about before the show, something that I've been hearing a lot lately is, like there aren't a lot of women in tech or gaming because they're just not interested in being there. And I, I had this, I went in circles last night with some people um about it and, and they're like, well, women just aren't interested. And I said, no, that's not, that's not the problem. It's, you know, society tells women they can't do that. And then when they get to the industry, they're treated poorly. And these guys were just like, well, I've never seen any woman treated poorly. And, um,
1: that right there is the problem. Like right. I think that just because those guys don't see it doesn't mean it's not happening and isn't there. They're probably not perceiving it in the same yep. way as the people who are frankly victims are, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, that's 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 so frustrating. And I mean, you know, I think that um I have not been a direct target of anything related to Gamergate. I wasn't even a direct target of the same kind of sexual harassment that so many women I know and men that I know faced in the games industry. I was also not a target of the same homophobia and racism that I witnessed. Like I am, so in many ways, like what I've experienced is is much subtler, but in, I think that's an important component too, because what I'm saying is that my daily experience is working for only a couple of game studios for only a couple of years are vastly worse than the entire rest of my experience working in tech in general and just in life in general. And like that, this guy who said, Oh, well, women aren't interested in that. Like he's not seeing the subtle, persistent, constant signals that that tell women they don't belong. Um, that, that someone like me is, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and it is, it's, it's not just, you know, it's not someone groping you in the break room. Right. you know, the sideways looks or the the dismissal of ideas Anna was talking on the last episode I did with her and Bree, she was talking about how for one place where she worked, she was sitting in meetings and would, would offer a suggestion and be completely dismissed. And someone would literally verbatim, one of her male colleagues would say the exact same thing. She said they tested it and they would, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. I mean, this stuff happens, whether you notice it or not, it happens, yeah,
1: and you know one of the things that um you know we we, we, we both have worked in tech, and there 's this narrative in tech that 's like oh we 're just a casual, fun, cool company, and I think one thing that happens when you 're in that casual tech environment. Like, the, the dynamic is less, you know, it's not like powerful senior law attorney sleeps with attractive younger female assistant and, like, then takes advantage of her, like, or any trope like that. It's, like, because we're in a casual environment, because everybody is wearing t-shirts and jeans and making games that are all for fun, right? Like, it's just for entertainment. There The lines are a lot less obvious it's not like this Clarence Thomas you right. know thing that we've seen on TV or whatever like it's very um it takes a different form than what i think shielded people view as sexism or misogyny or imbalance or any of those things and it's like well just because this doesn't look like what you expect and nobody's wearing like a three-piece suit and like demanding that someone get fired, like that doesn't mean that really messed up undercurrents aren't happening all the time that you are luckily insulated from because of your privilege. Like I, I you know, that's kind of a trigger word, but it's true. Like you just don't have the same experiences. So it's it's unfair to dismiss others, you know?
0: Yeah, well, in in this casual culture too, I think is is in some ways it facilitates this yeah. you know just like you're saying it's it's harder you know we're all friends here we're all we're all a family we're all working toward the same goal and then you know that person who sits two two cubes down or who you're talking to all the like I work remotely so you know you're working remotely and they say something weird and then it feels weird to say something about it and um and that can be that can wear where are you down. <laughs>
1: absolutely. A lot. Absolutely. I mean, and you know, for what it's worth, like, the sexual harassment, the homophobia, and the just general inappropriateness and constant discomfort that I felt working in games. I mean, it really is worse than anywhere else I've worked. It's not like this is a scientific sampling, but like, I'm astounded by the difference, you know, and, and not even just sexual inappropriateness, but like, I've seen outbursts of like anger management issues just like behaviors that would not be tolerated in many other areas of life have been allowed and people who have like thrown chairs have been promoted and oh, it's wow. like what that what what is going on here that that we have those kind of blinders on and I think that you know, something like that is more obvious, right? Because it's not targeted at only one gender and everybody in the room saw it. Maybe only some of the people felt threatened by it, but everybody saw it, you know? So it's like, if you can just understand that things on that level are happening all the time, but because of your unique situation in life, like you might might not be seeing them. I don't know. Like that's, it's hard to, it's hard to win that argument, right? Like it's hard to convince people you know when they can't put on the virtual reality goggles and experience the world as you do it's hard to kind of get that point across but it's that volume it's that level of uncomfortable all the time just in different ways and it sucks like it can be it really it really affects your happiness and I mean I think one of the things that I've experienced is that just observationally i think it's much easier for women um speaking like broadly cisgendered for probably most of this episode like i think it's easier for most women who are parents or who are otherwise like not single who are married who are very clearly attached and comfortable being public about the fact that they're like in a committed relationship that's monogamous whatever like you shouldn't have to have those disclosures but when people that you work with know that about you you're less likely to be a target of the same sort of harassment. Yeah, you know, I really think that when you're single, it's harder than when you are married, like publicly, monogamously attached, when you have kids, like it, whenever there's some factor like that, that kind of shields you or to many people like desexualizes you, you have a different easier time, um, in that aspect. I'm not saying it makes everything easier. <laughs> Certainly having kids doesn't make any job easier, right. no, but, definitely. um, but you know, I think that my single colleagues were the ones who were deeper targets of harassment because they were just more available as targets. And I, when I first walked into the first kind of true weirdness, uh, in games, I, I had, I I got engaged like two weeks after I joined the team and I kind of wore that ring as a force field. It was just like, Look at me, I'm clearly serious with someone, so you like any jokes, any comments, any like thing that could be perceived as an advantage or an advance towards me sexually, romantically, whatever, like I just turn this dumb blind eye very strategically because I don't wanna deal with that and I just find a way to deflect, bring up my husband, whatever. Like just just deflect, deflect, deflect. That was always kind of how I kept my head down and survived, um, with that toxic environment all the time. And realistically, like, I think that that's almost a form of like, I don't know, you can get almost like PTSD when you live like that all the time, but it's, it's like you shut down. And so you're not, your eyes aren't open to how bad it is because you're just trying to get by and, uh, get paid and like manage, you know, and cope and all of that stuff. So you really don't, you don't allow yourself to admit how bad it is because that means that you have to start doing things like looking for another job while full-time employed start, you know, it, it, it allows a different kind of bad feeling of constant dread. Whenever you see a certain boss walking towards you or whenever you see a certain name pop up in your inbox or your instant message chat or whatever, it's like it, it allows something to seize you and make you feel like, oh, this is going to suck. And so you just sort of shut down. And yeah, that's not a good strategy, but it, it, it's one that many people employ. And I think that's part of why people can be dismissive about the bad culture happening because it's like, well, if everybody's just kind of heads down, not saying anything, then you're not really seeing it.
0: Yeah. And and it's exhausting too, you know? So, no, you know, you're – I've had this experience where I was – in the workplace and there were some inappropriate comments made toward me and I went to my male friends in the department and said hey you know the next time this happens would you just would you just say hey not cool that's that's not how we we talk here or you know whatever is appropriate for the situation and um one of my best friends both at work in in like real life was like I didn't I didn't notice anything wrong with that. What was wrong with that comment? And um and he didn't say he wasn't like, yeah, I've got your back. It was just like, I didn't notice anything wrong and no, I'm not going to say anything. And you know, it's and it's exhausting. It's it's exhausting to point it out and to ignore it and to deal with it.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I think that, you know, understandably men who don't necessarily feel the full weight or who don't grasp why something feels threatening or off or wrong. Like there's a self-preservation thing, right? Like not to, not to make that okay, because you should be able to get the support that you need, especially when you actually go to the emotional kind of hurdle of asking for it because nobody's implicitly providing that for you. But it is really hard. Like with something that's so systemic like this, it, it it's way more difficult to rally the type of reaction that you need. And, you know, uh, this is, if you'll permit me, I'm going to go on a bit of a tangent here sure. to just describes some of my experience. I'm, I'm bi and I present as straight. Like I'm married to a dude, been married for like eight, well, been with him for like eight years now. I read as straight when you meet me. Um, but, I, you know, I have, like, I have my entire business on the side is helping people get into happy romantic relationships. Like, I'm a very people-focused, relationship-focused person, and I um, I cultivate relationships with my coworkers, naturally. That's how I enjoy jobs. Like, when I'm in a job where I don't do that, I'm not a happy employee. You know, that's just my personality. And the combination of knowing that I help people with relationship stuff and knowing that I'm by often means that male coworkers who with whom I had a friendly appropriate comfortable rapport at some point will cross a line they will make some comment that is completely off base they'll start telling me like sending me pictures of like women they find hot or like commenting commenting to me when somebody that they find hot in the office is like wearing a short skirt or something. Cause like somehow the part the twenty percent of me on a on a gay day that's like lesbian is is gonna relate to that and therefore endorse that behavior, somehow support that sentiment in the workplace among coworkers. I don't know. And I think that, you know, it's become evident to me over years of this happening over and over again and me not really knowing how to deflect or shut it down. Um, and, and, you know, it's always people who are like in a position of power over me too. So like, there's all those dichotomies of like, how can I even bring this up and not be labeled as insubordinate or whatever crap you want to, you know, take from that. Like, I think that I've come to realize that men just sexualize women so easily and casually and broadly They're they're, they've been raised to do that. And I mean, I know like not all men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, (laughs) but it's like in our culture, that's so encouraged casually from, from, you know, the everything that's happening. I mean, it's millennia old, right? Like it's not new, but you look at a show like Mad Men and you're like, yeah, shocking that like, if my dad came from the generation that behaved like this, then it's, it's not that surprising that our modern 20, 30, 40 somethings are absorbing that. And so they, I think these guys honestly don't see the line that's crossed. And that's such a problem that it's And then it becomes uncomfortable. You become the weirdo, the uncool one, the unfun, uncasual one, the one who has some kind of burden that they're putting into the world. If you speak up and say like, whoa, that joke went too far. Whoa, hey, how about don't make a comment about like what my husband and I do in bed? Like, whoa, how about don't send me pictures of women you find hot or whatever? Like you crossed the line and men are like, what are you talking about? Like, when did you become such a prude?
0: Right. Yeah. (laughs) And it, yeah, and you're the, the, the B word in the office and you, yeah, you're, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. I know I'm not supposed to cuss on my podcast, but
1: <laughs> I think that's a safe one, you know, because it's, it's, it's true. You really are in this awful catch 22 whenever that stuff creeps up. And, you know, I think that, um, how can I say it? The, the jobs that I've had, like, I have worked in localization, QA, like production. These aren't even dev studios. So like, it's that much worse, I think, in dev studios where the gender balance is that much harsher. Like the studios that I worked in were, you know, they only had a mild gender imbalance problem in the employees that they hired and recruited and promoted. Uh, I think that when you get into actual dev, you see a lot more... um, you know, stratification of like the men are the engineers, the women, maybe the effects artists or something. And it's like, obviously that's not true across the board, but I know that I know that that's frustrating. And I know that like, when you get into those actual environments where real development is going on, all of this is amplified. So like my tiny drop in the bucket from all of the many uncomfortable experiences that I've had is nothing on what so many women who work in games are going through, like, let alone the ones who get harassed on Twitter and receive death threats for just liking games and wanting them to be better. Like, the women who actually make games are really, really punished for their career choice and their passion. And, like, that's part of this problem because the culture that we represent in games is only going to get better if we have more inclusivity in who's actually putting those games together and bringing them to life. And, and that's so depressing because i know that everything that i've like gone through that feels really like trauma is is a tiny tiny drop compared to the trauma that let's say a female engineer at a game dev studio is going through yeah and, uh... and let's say like a a single queer female engineer like oh my god so you know what i mean like there are so many modifiers that you can add on that just make your experience more and more difficult if you're a different race if you're like poly if you're trans like there are any number of things that you can put on that just makes this like richter scale style exponentially worse with every modifier so you know it's awful to think about and you know some of it i can only hypothesize about but um some of it i can tell you first person accountings of awful things that have happened and if you'll permit me to i will do that
0: Sure. I th- I think that, you know, this is part of why the podcast exists is to give people a safe space where they can tell their stories and where, you know, people who are, are open minded and beginning to understand what's happening, you know, cause we've got a lot of, of allies and then there are people who are slowly waking up and becoming allies. And so that's, that's what this is for is kind of to, to help us all understand a little bit better.
1: So, um, yeah, the story that I want to tell, like, let me make it clear. I'm allowed to tell this because circumstances like my being unsingle at the time shielded me enough from the brunt of this harassment that I was not included in the like official please do not discuss this outside of these walls HR mandate because I wasn't really in the like lawsuit or firing. I was peripheral to it all. So I saw it happen to many of my coworkers at a game studio, including... One of your former guests on this show, who's not allowed to talk about her experience, even though she's the one who led the charge to getting this, like, inappropriate manager in a position of power who systematically sexually harassed, like, everyone in the department fired because she was asked to keep quiet legally. And I wasn't. So here I am. I'm not going to, like, go too crazy or name names. But um, I want the purpose of me telling you this, like, listener, <laughs> is so that you know how Bad it gets, and so you know that there needs to be legitimacy given to these anonymous stories that you read, because the fact is, sometimes the women that have to come forward anonymous have to because some BS red tape happened like this, and they they could lose their jobs or end up sued if they discuss something that is part of their experience that they should, you know, they they would otherwise be allowed to talk about more frankly. So just keep that in mind um, as I tell you a terrible tale. <laughs> so um. We all worked in this department for a manager who was a bad manager in many ways. He was not just a sexual harasser. He was sort of emotionally punitive when he was in a good mood. He would, you know, it was all rain and sunshine. And when he was in a bad mood, um, he would take it out on all of his subordinates, like, um, and I think superiors, like male and female alike, like he was just kind of pissy like that um but he specifically zeroed in on um we'll call my friend Jane, right? <laughs> who is a former guest on your podcast. He specifically zeroed in on Jane and one other younger member on our team. He he flirted with me and bantered with me, but as I said, I had gotten engaged, so I kind of felt like I had I had a a, a shield to duck behind and I did duck frequently. That was like how I managed. Um he very strategically, systematically harassed everyone to the point where he even said, like, as long as, as long as HR doesn't, like, as long as I keep it below a certain line, HR can't do anything about it. And it was him actually saying that, that managed to help the case in the end, I believe. Wow. Um, Details are fuzzy because again, I wasn't part of it, but like, you know, there were all these moments where, um... To his credit, in this one instance, he was promoting another woman rather than the person who, um, he was targeting for sort of punishment because she had rejected his social and romantic advances. Like he was, he basically gave credit to things that happened to someone else who was a woman instead of to the woman who, you know, uh, refused him. And, um... You know, it took us all a while to realize how bad it was, but I think we got together socially just, like, as gals who were friends who had kind of bonded in this um, sometimes toxic work environment, and we got together and just were drinking and, uh, like, having dinner and watching um, K-dramas. That was our thing (laughs) at at my apartment, And, uh, and we started comparing notes, and we realized that, like, we needed to strategize because this was way beyond the scope and horror that any of us individually had witnessed that he was systematically harassing all of us in different ways and like permitting a culture of toxic behavior so that even though like one of us wasn't really sexually harassed at all but she was constantly made fun of for things that she would wear like she had this little vest that she would wear and they'd be like you know you're supposed to wear the bra on the inside of your shirt just oh, comments wow. that are like, that's not such a big deal standalone, but when you add up 14 of those a day over a seven-day week, and then you just add in all of these other nuances, like, it becomes a really toxic environment, even if the individual sins seem small. And so we were all just, you know, our jaws were dropped. We we went to the Jane, um, kind of organized the whole thing, printed things out, found documentation, took it to HR... Got the guy fired, which to Nintendo, like um, to like I don't know, to like just the credit of everyone involved, like an actual firing occurred, which is wonderful, and we we were all really relieved. I no longer, I think I I no longer work there at this point. Like I wound up leaving, so I wasn't around for a lot of the fallout of all that. But it was um, fantastic to know that change happened. However. We all kind of kept tabs on this one person who had been such a terrible force in our lives for a while, even though he, you know, put on a friendly face a lot of the time. And he spent a couple years employed in crappier ways and, you know, not really working specifically in video game development or or production or anything. And then later he got rehired at the company that my husband went on to work at. So I was running into this guy at... Company events and figuring out how to navigate that. Like, I mean, it's not like it was like running into my abuser or something, but it was really, really unpleasant to have to figure out whether to dodge how much. And he's only gone on to be promoted further into positions of more power. And it's just like, you know, it just kind of goes to show like, even a firing with cause for sexual harassment does not stop like, uh, an inappropriate person from being able... An inappropriate, like, white, cis, straight male, right? (laughs) From being able to flourish in his chosen career regardless of, like, strikes against him. Like, there's no, you know, there's no, like, sex offender record for, like, job stuff. You just... You put the references that you find sympathetic and you find a way back in, and that's exactly what happened. And it's like... Nothing stopped that, right? Like, I don't know if this person learned a lesson or not from that ordeal. I'm going to guess not just based on the lessons of general propriety that he clearly never learned in the first place. But like, how depressing is that? Like there's, there's nothing to stop that moving on. And meanwhile, all of the people who were the primary targets of his harassment, they're not allowed to talk about this. Like I am. Yeah. They, they could get sued.
0: And do they still, so I know, you know, one is still in the industry, but are the others, do you know?
1: Yeah, some of some of us are, some of us aren't. Um uh yeah. Um yes. Like we're still trying to make our way. I expect to be back in that industry again, not in development, more in production because that's more my skill set is linguistic stuff. You know, I expect to be back in there at some point. Um two of the most primary targets are still in the industry and making it work for them even though that was a terrible experience and they still experience um, the type of harassment, even though it's not from the same target, you know, or I'm from the same person. Like, You still get smatterings of that behavior of like, oh, I have to go out of my way to justify my ideas in the way that my male counterpart doesn't. Oh, I have to go out of my way to deflect casual jokes and like mention that I'm married, remind you that I can't hang out after work. And like, you know, there's still all of that. But yeah, some of us are still in the industry and some of us aren't. I don't think that it it deterred anyone who really wanted to be in the industry from pursuing that, but it certainly isn't easier now than it was then. It's
0: yeah. just different. Yeah. Well, and so you talked about how this guy got rehired in the industry and is now, you know, in a, a more advanced position. Yeah. You know, but okay, I I'm, I'm not in HR, but my understanding of what prospective employers are allowed to ask to past employers is very limited. You know, and I'm not sure you know what the terms of him being let go were or anything but it very well could be that there was a clause in there that they that you know we'll let you go we'll we'll give you a reference and you're just not going to work here anymore
1: right and I mean if you think about it who do like you don't usually have to provide exactly who your direct supervisor was for a reference. And even then, I think that the supervisory people in this situation were like sympathetic to the person who got fired. <laughs> I mean, for the most part, that was my sense. So like, but if I'm looking for a new job, I put, I mean, don't you? I put references who are going to flatter me and speak highly of me. I put people that I've worked with or for who valued me and my work. I don't necessarily put the, the one person who had it out for me because she had it out for everyone. So it's like, if people thought that you were in the right in that situation that you didn't deserve to be fired and you list them as a reference and you tell them like hey like I need a reference I gotta get back in the games industry after this one woman like totally ruined my career bro yeah can you help me out you're gonna get the reference that says what the new company wants to hear
0: yeah
1: yeah there's no accountability there and I mean that can work (laughs) I listen, to be fair, like there are jobs that I shouldn't have gotten if you'd talked to a different person than the one that I gave as a reference. Like I'm no angel. Like I can be a real uh, whiny worker in the wrong setting, in the wrong place. That's not like giving me the right challenges, whatever. So, you know, this works to everyone's advantage and disadvantage, but it's just like, there isn't anything set up to prevent that rehiring and furthering from happening other than a social discussion that we've all been reluctant to have, some of us because, like, a threat of lawsuit, and some of us because we, like, I have been reluctant to talk about this, and this, this is terrible, but it's true. I've been reluctant to discuss it candidly, because I don't want it to have negative repercussions for my husband's career in game development. This is a small town in a tight-knit community, and people talk just like I'm talking, even if I'm not using real names, and, like, I don't want my having stuck up for women in a messed up, misogynistic, terrible, harassing, traumatizing situation to to cost my husband a job. Mm-hmm. What an awful, stupid dilemma.
0: Yep, but it's real. Yeah, and that's 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 why you know. I know. I know the indie game industry is small, you know, but. That's why a lot of people don't speak up is because, okay, well, I'm gonna lose my job or I'm going to be harassed further because people are gonna get mad um and you know what 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 do I do and then you add in the the smallness of the community where it's like it's not just not just something that might blow back on you but also your spouse or a sibling or a friend mm-hmm. because of association, and that that's that's real that is. That's stifling.
1: And, you know, let me make something clear. I'm sure that this is also terrible in an indie environment, but the studios that I'm talking about are AAA studios. So don't okay. think that there's an increased level of professionalism or appropriateness, the bigger and, like, moneyer and more important the studio is. It's broken everywhere. Yeah. It's broken everywhere. And that's, that's hey, that's why I came on your show, because I feel like people need to understand the... The depth to which it's broken and the persistence that these experiences can have in like, I don't, if you presented me with two similar job opportunities, making um, boring software that I don't care about (laughs) or making games, I might pick the boring software that I don't care about role because it would insulate me from some of this misogyny. Comparatively, and that's really sad. I would much rather I'm working a boring software role right now, part time. It's boring, I don't care for it, but it doesn't. No one is sexually harassing me, my coworkers, or my friends, so at least not to this, they are a little, but not to the same degree. And it's like, okay, well, that's that's what I'm that's that's a trade off that I'm forced to make because I've learned to assume a toxic environment working directly in games. And that doesn't mean that I'm not going to brave it again, but it's braving it. Do you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. not just like taking a job. It is It is like suiting up for something uncomfortable and difficult. And that's what I think that the men who don't stick up for you when a casual comment happens don't understand. Is like for them, it's just a job. And for you, it's kind of a battle.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. And it's just, you know it, so I also had these situations where little jokes were made and, and it would come to a point where, you know, I was comfortable and I would say, look, you need to stop. This is, this is not funny. I, I really don't appreciate it. I'm uncomfortable. And these are my friends and they're like, oh, well, it's just too funny. I need to keep going. I'm like, no, you know, and, and, and it's one little comment. Sure. I I can, I can get over one little comment, but it's that it comes up on this podcast, this phrase, it's the death by a thousand cuts. I mean, yeah, there are the big things that happen, like like the experience you just recounted. But you have to think about how it's all day, every day, little things, medium things, big things, all adding up into this one big ball of like crying yourself to sleep on Sundays because you know you have to go to work on Monday.
1: And you know, you made a really, really good point. Like that—that thing that—that interaction that you had, where you're casually telling a friend, "Like, hey, look, you know, you need to stop," and—and the response that you get is, "I can't. It's just too funny." Like, I don't—I don't mean to attack your friend, but let's pick that apart for a minute. Let's get super hyper analytical about this.
0: It happened more than once, and I was always
1: extraordinarily angry. Like, what that's really saying is, my desire to see through this light levity that i now know makes you uncomfortable trumps your discomfort mm-hmm. like implicitly that is my right and privilege to just tell this joke at your expense because i know now that it upsets you and i'm choosing that like my finishing to the punchline i care more about that than about mm-hmm. how it's making you feel like so that's terrible on like a pragmatic and emotional level but little cuts like that are what are what make you bleed out. Like you said, that's right. horrible.
0: And yeah. And what do you do? I,
1: it, it, You know, the challenge is I don't even know what you do. I feel like the few times I never, I never spoke back. That's one of my biggest regrets is like not speaking up in the moment when these things happened and you know there are all these frust like Kotaku commenter arguments like she should have just addressed it, and it's like you don't understand that when you're in the moment, a part of you is so shocked that something so unacceptable is happening. It's so embarrassed if it's somehow calling out your physical features, your sexuality, anything about you really that makes you like a personal brunt of it. You're so um, worried because historically you've been downtrodden compared to all the men that you're working against. And so you're not in a position of power most likely because all the men are and you've been like systematically, you know, discriminated against your whole life. So like you're worried about the fact that you probably have a lesser role and like, you know, you're, you're somebody's um inferior in this like hierarchy even if they're at a flat company like Valve like come on there's always hierarchy on some level somewhere mm-hmm. and um and you and you're like you're you don't want to be branded the b word you don't want to be branded for being uptight or a prude you don't want to ruin the rapport with these people that you care about you have such a just a, an onslaught of different emotions and thoughts it's really hard to come up with the articulate feminist, succinct, like, let's shut this down without making everybody here somehow hate or punish me reaction. Like in the moment, that's just not how your brain works under that kind of pressure and trauma. Even if like me, you are extroverted and a talker and pretty quick witted and like, good on your feet, you know, thinking and talking like, I still wasn't ever able in those moments of the worst statements and reactions and comments from many different men that I've worked with, not just the one terrible boss that I told you about. Like I'm never I never shut it down like I wanted to and wish I could have. And if I could go back and behave differently, I would try to. But the fact is, probably the next time I run into that situation, I'm gonna be equally stymied because it's 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 not a simple reaction to to force yourself into having.
0: Well, in my first, my first reaction is always, wait, what I must have heard, right. I must have heard you wrong, right? That and can't so, actually
1: be what he right. said or
0: meant. And so like, I'm usually about five seconds behind what's right. happening where I'm like, okay, wait, so I said, you know, this, and then he said that, and that that's not what that's not what he meant. Like, my, my big moment was sitting in a meeting, um, and having one of my coworkers say, um, oh well, you notice how the only woman in the room is the one saying da da da, and and he said it like four or five times. It was like a three-hour meeting, and he said it four or five times. And every time he said it in this condensed period, I just, I just, I just sat there because I was like, "This is not my life right now."
1: Well, and like, like in your mind, you are going, "How does this strengthen his point? It must only weaken it." Like if you ask more women, they, but but you are not articulating any of that because it doesn't sound like you have the agency to. that sounds like a terrible who has three hour meetings come on but right. like <laughs> you know it sounds like a terrible work environment in a lot of ways but like you, you're not in a position like you, you don't necessarily want to further single yourself out by being like okay as the only woman can you explain to me what point you're trying to draw from that? Would right. you like How's us to go get some more women? Do we need to hire some different people to try to get a balanced way in on this opinion? Like on the fly, what's happening here? Like why, you don't have any of the wherewithal to have any of that conversation and you know that you would be punished if you did, so you're not inclined to. Right. Oh,
0: yeah. I'm so sorry. Well, you know, fortunately I found another job and I don't have to deal with it anymore. But, awesome. you know, and and- And I left screaming about it. And they, um, this person has been, um, my little birdies have told me that this person is being set up to take on a managerial role in the company. Awesome. And, um, you know, it's just, this is, this is reality. This is, this is what we live. And, you know, I think that, that women have such the, such a, a bad rap because, you know, well, you're just, you're going to complain no matter what I do. Like if I help you, you're going to get mad. Um, this is, this is something that I'm hearing from, from my male friends. I don't know where to help and where to stand back. And, um, and I don't know what to tell them because it's different for every woman, like where they want help and where they don't and every person really, but, but my um, people who are regular listeners of my show have heard me say this many times. Step zero is recognizing that um, other people's experiences are valid. Just because your experience is vastly different, you have to recognize that that other people's experiences are valid. And then the next thing to do is um, to learn. Like, first you have to recognize there's a difference, and then you have to learn about what those differences are. And then, I mean, you just have to do your best to to speak up when you notice things are happening, and, you know, also trust that women are capable of fighting their own battles. And I understand that that's nebulous, and it sounds contradictory, um, but it's... I, it's the best answer I have for people when they're like, well, how can I help? Well, sometimes we need you to speak up and sometimes we need you to stand back and I don't know how to help you know the difference.
1: You know, I um, I think that a really important addendum that you kind of hinted at, but that I would like edit explicitly into your sort of answer to that is ask, like ask mm-hmm. in a in a way that isn't overbearing. Lee Alexander wrote a really great piece that was like, how you can help support people during Gamergate. And it was kind of saying, like, support people by boosting their voices, but don't necessarily, like, at-reply them causing more burden for communication because they don't necessarily know if you're going to turn into one of the Gamergate psychos or if you're just a normal ally guy trying to help. So, you know, I maybe we can link to that in the show notes or something. Sure. She, she you know, as someone who, frankly, grateful, you know, I'm very lucky that I haven't been a target like so many women have of any of this, you know, hate and vitriol. So I haven't had to think through those um those steps. Like for example, um I'm sad that I haven't gotten to chat with my internet pal Brianna Wu in months. Um but I also am not like I'm not at replying her or DMing her like being like, "Why haven't you answered me?" Right. Like that's not What she needs. I understand and step back. Like, I'm a woman. I'm not a man. Like, I'm not completely alien from what she's going through. This is just basic communication understanding of like, she's in a place where I don't think she can live in her own home right now because of the ridiculous escalation of Gamergate threats. So, like, maybe don't place any additional burden on her about anything whatsoever that isn't actually an emergency that only she can solve. You know what I mean? Like, so I think it's thinking like that, like, try to think about, um, how you like but ask like in in a way that does give for a safe space and then don't be pissed if you don't get a reply because this woman is so inundated with horrible stuff going on that she can't you know take the minute to to get back to you she's got bigger fish to fry but like you know say like hey I want to support you and it's not always really clear to me what that means or what you need and I don't always notice when something bad happens so like could we talk about how I can help in this? And that opens the doors, right? Like, Absolutely. Maybe the answer is going to be no, we can't talk about it because I'm busy, you know, hiding from like 4chan death threats or whatever. But the answer may be like, oh my God, I'm so glad you said that. The next time this person does something like this in a meeting, could could you be the one to speak up? So I don't, as the only woman, have to be. Stuff like that is so great if you can have that moment to strategize and have someone who knows that there's a man who has her back in getting the ear of the men who don't listen to women, you know? Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, absolutely.
1: And, I mean, to be clear, we shouldn't need this. But um, like, I think what you may be hearing reactions from is men who get accused of like white knighting where it's like they try to step in and help you when you didn't want that. And I don't even know, I don't know how or when a whole term existed to like, you know, <laughs> categorize that behavior. But I just think that like, when you, if you just talk to people and communicate instead of assuming that their realities aren't real or assuming that you know the kind of help that they need, that will help a ton. Like just be open to a dialogue.
0: Absolutely, and don't. I think the other thing too is so because I face I face this in, to some degree. I am cis, straight, white. You know, my disadvantage is that I'm a woman, right? Mm-hmm. So. There are other people that I, I have to listen to, you know, and I was thinking about this last night, you know, so if, you know, a black lesbian woman is telling me her experience, I need to listen to that. I need to, again, ask, as you said, how how can I help in this situation? Because I don't I don't know what you need. Um, so I, I know it can it, to me, it feels uncomfortable. It's like, OK, I'm I'm confronted with my own you know, advantages, my own privilege in life. Um, But on the other hand, you know, I can see that I can help in some small way and I feel responsible for doing that.
1: I think, and I think that's, um, you know, that's something, it ties in really deeply to our culture to be embarrassed of privilege. Like, do you remember when you're young, you're not supposed to like talk about money. I went to a college where you weren't supposed to talk about the grades you got. Like there was sort of this, It's not in good taste sense of like, um, you know, discussing the ways in which you have it easier than other people. It ties into like a lot of mostly white middle class ideals, you know, in America. And and so I think that like recognizing that some of this discomfort is going to be like, or that some of this discussion is going to be inherently riddled with discomfort and that you have to push past that to help. Like, Like, I don't, I don't love being like, my only disadvantage is that I'm white and like or that i'm fe- sorry <laughs> that's <not a> disadvantage. <laughs> that i'm that i'm female and uh sometimes to some people by do you know what i mean right. like in terms of perception so it's like you know that's it, it. it's not great to be like well i don't have racial stuff against me well i don't have religious stuff against me well i don't really have social socioeconomic stuff against me like admitting those things and going, given that I come from this place of relative privilege compared to, you know, person B, like, h- how how do we all make an effort to make the world better for each other? I mean, if that's your goal, you're not going to be a jerk when you're like, hey, black female lesbian friend, will you help me figure out how to help other people not be a jerk to you? Like, if the intent is pure, you'll get coaching. You know, I, as a dating coach, like, I've I've started to you know, in the past five years, I've had more clients who are poly, more clients who are trans, more clients who are like kinky, all these things that are like sort of movements within the romantic space, I- at least in terms of the relationship that I have with them that are that are new to me. And I just have to ask my clients, like, can you educate me about the terminology and like the etiquette within your community so I don't sound like a jerk while I'm so trying to write? help you? Yeah. yeah. yeah, You know, and and I mean... People don't usually see that as an affront. They see that as an opportunity. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So yes, ask.
1: ask. <laughs> well, you know, is there anything else that you want to cover? I remember that um, this morning we were both reacting to that recent video of a woman walking through the streets of New York City with a GoPro attached to, like, the guy walking in front of her just to record all of the harassment that she got. God, um, yeah, that feels really uncomfortably close to home even i mean no matter what environment you're in when you're female right
0: yeah well and and i think it it ties so closely into you know what we're talking about today it's except it's not the workplace you know it's i i can't even feel safe walking down the street because someone's going to say something to me I just want to be left alone and so he's gonna say something to me and there's going to be a tone or the words themselves are going to be obnoxious or threatening or threatening and you know I've seen a lot of response to that video like well she should just acknowledge the people move on she should just smile and move on and And it's like, okay, so she does that, and then what, she gets followed? She was followed for five minutes when she wasn't acknowledging somebody.
1: Yeah, I mean, the thing that – the thing. I mean, that's such a – oh, to be so blissfully naive is to say she should just be positive to those people, like, interact with them. Like, if you give that guy who's, like, hounding you for your number or an interaction the time of day a smile like he demands instead of asking, you know, if you give him an inch – What's going to happen when there's like a dark alley? What's going to happen if you, if he tries to touch you and you like recoil? What's going to happen if there's nobody around and he escalates his behavior because he sees an opportunity to take advantage of that? Like, I think the thing that people don't recognize and mean, let's be cisgendered broadly again here that men don't recognize is that being a woman inherently means that you're always potentially a victim of something horrible like sexual abuse. I mean, that's like rape. Like, you know, men just don't get that level of attention in that way. You can argue and pontificate and find little exceptions. And yes, again, broad strokes here. But like women are inherently vulnerable to like violent attacks of a potentially sexual nature in a way that men aren't. So we grow up with a certain awareness of like, that comment about, oh, you look like a thousand bucks, whatever, like, that is not a compliment. That mm. is a veiled potential threat. And you never know who's going to come out of the woodwork making good on those threats. Like, who who is going to give that guy a smile not knowing if he's one of the people who's going to force you up against a wall? Like, you can't trust that dudes telling you you look nice actually mean only that because enough of them don't that it would be insane to assume otherwise.
0: Yeah, well, and we teach kids, right? We teach kids, you don't talk to strangers. You don't right. go up to strangers. You don't take candy from strangers. You don't help them find their last puppy dog. Like, you don't talk to strangers. And then all of a sudden you hit a certain age and now, now you owe strangers some kind of interaction because they make some comment at you as you walk by. Like, How does that even make sense?
1: No, it's very... And, you know, these are not... It's tricky too, because I, I, I don't know. I live in a city that has uh, a really large homeless population and suddenly in the past, I don't know, 10 years, also a really large sidewalk canvasser population. I think there are a lot of people with clipboards who want to aggressively force you to shake their hand and talk about, um, you know, whatever the issue du jour of their strangely funded charity is that can afford to employ, you know, hundreds of people walking the streets all day. (laughs) I don't really understand. I like, I don't support the economics and the tactics of that, even though I understand that some of the causes are good, but it's like the number of types of interaction that are unpleasant when I'm just trying to get from point A to point B using my feet or public transportation or whatever is like, so it's exhausting. It's exhausting in the same way that the litany of small sexist comments at a workplace are exhausting. Like I, I, I know that you want money in, in like a cap for food, I don't know that I don't trust you to, like, grab my ankle if I stop. I don't know that I trust the world not to grab my purse if I stop and start to get my purse out to give you a buck. Like, I don't know if I trust you to not somehow sexually harass me. I don't know if I trust sidewalk canvasser, like, who's talking to me and stopping me and delaying me on my short lunch break. Like, I don't know if I'm going to become unaware of my bag and somebody's going to steal it. Some scam is Mm -hmm. being run. I don't know if my ass is going to get groped because I'm standing still, distracted, talking to a sidewalk canvasser, and somebody else sees an opportunity. Like you never, like you're always in defense mode. You're always in self-preservation mode. That's part of being female. And I I mean, some women would argue with that, but like, I, I think that whether it's subconscious or explicit and we're all realizing how much more explicit it is every time we see a link like this, like we are always defending ourselves against a complete unknown list of potential unpleasantness ranging to, you know, actual danger. And it's like, you can't ask me, you can't ask, like those compliments are never actually compliments. They're usually just you asserting your power over me and they might be Like, I'm not going to wait around for the time that it's you asserting me your power over me in a way that is going to get me raped or abused or mugged or whatever. Like, why would I why would I leave even the smallest opening for that?
0: Yep. Yeah. And I'm fortunate. You know, I live in Phoenix. I'm Well, I live in Phoenix, so there's not (laughs) a lot of walking that happens around here. There's not a lot of, you know, even if you go downtown to, you know. Phoenix proper. um, There aren't a lot of people on the streets. And, you know, then I go to San Francisco and I've told the story to about three people today. You know, the last time I was in San Francisco, I got coffee at Blue Bottle Coffee. It was during WWDC. My husband was in a session, boyfriend at the time. And I had a guy follow me from Blue Bottle to Moscone. And I had my phone out and was texting Texting Justin to come down and stand with me because this guy had followed me, you know, and Justin's 6'5 and pretty menacing looking. So I was like, you know, what do do you do? And that was just someone who decided to follow me from a coffee shop.
1: Yeah, you know, the following is, I think, the scariest thing. That was the thing that chilled me most in the video because I've been followed in in Europe um, in multiple cities, once with a friend who was female and once alone And a couple other times, but, like, there are two accounts that really stand out. And it's it's so chilling because you're like, what is this person aiming to do to me with me? Like, what is happening here? What is their thought? You have no idea. And maybe it's only that they want to creep you out, but it's terrifying.
0: It is. Well, and the thought that was running through my head is, well, maybe I'm just being paranoid. Maybe this is really where this person is going. you know it's it's only a couple of blocks. Is it implausible that this might be his route like so that self doubt too yeah. was yeah. also um kind of disturbing in retrospect.
1: well, and I mean, I don't know about you, but like you know in situations like that, sometimes I'm like, okay, I gotta find. A way to get away. So you'll duck into a store or a coffee. Maybe you'll even find someone female who you think might be relatable and explain to them like why you need to just hang out without buying anything for 30 seconds. And then maybe the person follows you and is like, great, you're trapped. I can force you into a conversation now. Or maybe they keep going, or maybe they notice that you did that and they just wait until you come back out and then they show up again. Like, but it's terrible either way. And there's very little power that you have to change that unless you can get to a truly safe space and you don't always know what those are. Yeah. Uh, no, the yeah. The following thing was really, it was really chilling and it was like extra chilling in a way because in the video that we watched, the guy who made that comment was one of the more soft spoken ones was one of the like less threatening in the thing that he said to th- her. I think he just told her to have a beautiful evening or something. And it's like, I could on one hand see all of the guys being like, why doesn't she just say something nice and that? Like, he just said to have a beautiful evening. And then he follows her for five minutes. It's like, that's why. Yeah. That's why.
0: Yep. And, you know, to so the men watching, I encourage you to, you know, ask the women in your lives if they've experienced this because um, they likely have. And you likely don't know about it unless you've asked because it's so
1: common
0: <laughs> yeah it's so common it's so everyday for women and when we're with you know if we have a male partner if we're with our partners we don't hear it as much you know so I really encourage you if you have a doubt to to check in with the women in your lives and and see what their experiences are
1: you know this is maybe really misguided because it will maybe just bring a bunch of like um Fetishists out of the work instead of the normal people that would harass me, but I'm sort of looking forward to being pregnant because I feel like that like visibly pregnant that that symbol of like not currently sexualizable in a way mm-hmm. <laughs> it must be so it must be an interesting vacation to get to take from the usual. Um, objectification for at least from at least some aggressors, right? Like right. I don't know'll I'll, I'll have to update you and let you know how that yeah. goes when when the day hits because who knows? maybe it'll be worse. Maybe it'll just be you know, a litany of people touching my belly, and that's like far beyond the level of unwelcome interaction that I ever had before. but um I get the feeling it'll it'll just be a different nature, like a different tone. Um, yeah, and I, I'm, I'm like looking forward to what's essentially, I guess, not a nine month vacation from that kind of male attention, because I don't think you show for the full nine months, but like any amount is welcome, right? right.
0: <laughs> and a, kind of a social, n equals one social experiment too.
1: Yeah. I'll have to blog it and see, see how that goes. I don't know if I'm going to get all GoPro about it, but we'll see <laughs> if GoPro wants to sponsor me, let's talk. <laughs> <laughs> well, I
0: think, um. We're coming up at about an hour. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about?
1: You know, I think I got the stuff that was really um, – that had been kicking around in my head out for people to hear. And I really hope that it um, that it illuminates, you know, some of what women are going through that they're not always able to share candidly. Um, and I hope that it, again, like – put some context to some of the anonymous stories that people have heard who are wondering like, what's, what's the deal? Why don't you just say who you are and what happened? Like, if it's so important, speak up. Like, I hope that this, you know, conversation gives, gives more insight into the complexities of navigating all this harassment and all this sexism and misogyny and continuing to stay employed and employable.
0: Yeah. Ugh. Well, thank yeah. you for coming on.
1: <laughs> thank you for having me. Sorry to make you end no, on. Oh, it's, no, but no, it's fine. <laughs> that's how progress gets made, it right?
0: It is. <laughs> so Virginia, how can people find you?
1: Um, if you want to talk to me online dating coaching, you can find me at Um, For everything else, you can find me at virginiaroberts.com or at as Ask virginia on Twitter.
0: Cool. Well, thanks again for coming on. I really appreciate it.
1: Likewise. Thank you, Aileen. Have a great day.
0: You too. Bye. Bye. You can find the show on Twitter, at Less Than or Equal. If you have feedback, suggestions for guests, or would like to be a guest, please go to lessthanorequal.com and fill out the contact form. If you have a few minutes, it would be great if you would leave a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening. Until next time, on an internet near you, I'm Aline Sims for Less Than or Equal.